Welcome to another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to thehiresidechats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Well, this is the way, Higher Side Chatters, coming in hot from sunny San Diego and looking to help you solve even a fraction of life's wide range of problems. I'm Greg Carlwood, and sometimes I think that although there are many ideas and options we like to explore, deep down we know that the big machine keeps marching on and the thing that will really make us happy and healthy is distance. The pollution-coated, 5G-filled, constantly-surveilled, digital dystopian smart cities are just not going to do it. And as much as they try to push us towards them and shove the teat of totalitarian system dependence down our throats, we know these places are an arconic paradise, not a human one. But what if instead we utilized all we've heard about permaculture, biodynamics, symbiosis, good water, forest bathing, engaging with the earth, independence, and self-sufficiency, folded in the aspects of modern technology we decided could serve our lifestyles and built the reality we often dream of during corporate Zoom meeting pep talks or highway traffic. Well, that dream is largely the reality of today's guest Mike Winner, who lives nestled among old-growth redwoods in the pure, pristine waters of the Smith River deep in the Pacific Northwest on the off-grid Alphavedic farm under the tutelage of the Great Bear Lando whom we spoke with just a few months ago back in May, and together they run AlphaVedic.com and host the AlphaCast podcast. He's also on the team of a forward-thinking new project dedicated to building a blockchain-based, community-driven, decentralized internet infrastructure of the future known as Cordal. But that's not all, folks. He's also one of the founders of Music and Sky, a private wellness and entertainment gathering for families in the magical setting of the California Sierras. A jack-of-many-trades folding the new in with the old and living the solar punk dream, the dedicated, decentralist, holistic homesteader and permaculture podcaster, Mike Winner, welcome to the higher side. <laughs> Greg, that was awesome, man. Always love your intros, brother, and just so honored to be here with you, man. Right on. Yes, I try, and it is definitely a pleasure. I am a huge fan of the AlphaCast. You guys really go deep on a lot of themes that are important to me a modern nature-based spirituality, secret science, bioterrain theory, the work of guys like Rudolf Steiner and Wilhelm Reich, and all sorts of other good stuff. Plus, the surroundings of the Alpha Vedic farm sound really refreshing. And maybe we can start there, because I know there's a ton to talk about, but for people who don't know much about what you got going on up there, 
Talk to us a little bit about the Alpha Vedic Farm, the techniques you guys use to keep things at a high level, and some of the philosophy behind it all. Yeah, thanks for that. Really quite fortunate to be living here. As I say on the podcast, I wake up every morning and kiss the ground, Greg. I moved my family up here from Redondo Beach, California, kind of down by where you're at. I actually grew up in SoCal in, in Orange County. And then the day before Trump came into office, it just kind of happened to be when we closed on our house and moved up here. I moved my entire family up from Los Angeles area to this very remote piece of California where in actually in Del Norte County. We call it the great state of Jefferson, which is really more of a mindset than anything. But it's funny, most people in California don't even know this county exists. And we kind of like it like that. <laughs> so it's uh it's a great place. Yes, we are very close to where they shot Return of the Jedi and E.T., amongst some other films. So we're only about 25 miles from the coast, but we're just inland enough to where we're not really hit by the coastal inversion. So we have this like perfect microclimate for growing the herbs that we grow on the farm with our, our main crop, Jaogulan, the tea of immortality which Dr. Berlando is a master at growing outside of Asia. And that's kind of one of our premium, premier adaptogens that we grow biodynamically on the farm using the beautiful waters from the Smith River, which is the only undammed river in California and one of the purest rivers really in North America. So that was really what drew me here was not only the remoteness, getting away from the big cities, but also being on a body of water on a, a water flow that is that special and pure because a lot of times what we talk about on AlphaCast is the importance of water and how we really don't even understand what water is in many respects in terms of mainstream science. And by engaging with the river every day, my soul is lifted and we drink from it, we bathe in it, and we use it to water our crops. So yeah, it's a magical place and somewhere we would love for you to visit sometime. Uh, I appreciate that. I would love to. And the river was definitely one of those things I wanted to make sure we highlighted because I love the Pacific Northwest and areas like Colorado, probably more than any other natural landscape. And I'm down here at the end of the completely compromised Colorado River, but the pictures I've seen of the Smith River, they do look great. As you say on the site, it is known as one of the cleanest rivers in North America. And as you say, water is super important. You actually did a really interesting podcast recently with a woman named Veda Austin, a water researcher and water photographer. And you guys talked about the Victor Schauberger story where he would discuss the fact that he could meditate near the river and get into this weird state where the water would carry his consciousness off and then he'd snap back into it with a knowledge download from the river and i just find that story really provocative obviously it fueled him to go deeper into water and veda's work sounded really interesting too i'm curious how you guys do optimize water there seems like you already got a good base level but do you drink it vortex or implement any other water-related optimization techniques? Yeah, great question. That's really Dr. Lando's forte and where his specialty lies. So we pull the water out of the river. The farm is off-grid, so it's our main source of water besides some rain catchment. 
And that is then Vortex, correct? And used not only through the Vortex Brewer for the compost teas and things that he makes, but also used for his Ormus and things that we create for our products. And in doing so, we are pulling from pure natural consciousness of a structured likeness that is really representative of the actual, I guess you could call it the Gaia consciousness. And this water is extremely structured because of the way it flows through the bedrock and out through springs. It's a spring-driven river. So it is very important for how we grow, but also for internally for our internal milieu of our terrain, because we are terrain specialists, and, and we could talk a little bit about that today, Greg. But how important it is to be taking in structured water. One thing that I like to do what I'll do is I'll take the structured water from, well, I'll take the Smith River water and then I'll actually, I have my own little vortex brewer in the kitchen here. And then I will put some of our zero point in, and that's like my morning breakfast, really. And then of course, the other thing that Bear and I are big, big fans of are the Wim Hof style ice water dips, especially this time of year. So I will go down to the river. I have a little pool eddy that I go into, and I do three minutes. I do my breath work. Then I go in and I sit in for three minutes. And unlike an ice bath, which is more of a traditional Wim Hof method, and I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with the Wim Hof method, mm -hmm. which is the idea of right cold submersion with breath work. Most people will do an ice bath where they submerge themselves in oftentimes, God forbid, tap water with ice. And so I feel like by doing this in a flowing, alive river, especially something as pure as the Smith River, or what we really should call the Hayuchi River, which is the Native American indigenous name for it, there's an information flow coming through, information fields that Dr. Lando would explain much better than I in terms of the waveform mechanics of it. But my cells, the structured water in my cells, are talking with the river and getting information. This is actually what we talked about a bit with Veda, why animals, dogs, for instance, will naturally prefer going out. And I don't know if you have a dog, Greg, but if you notice after a rain, my dog loves to go drink the water out of a dirty puddle. Will actually prefer to do that than drink out of his own, her own bowl in the house. And that's because there's actual information fields attached to that structured water. And what's exciting about this idea is what we kind of postulated with the VEDA podcast is that that could very well be the future of communication. And I believe actually ancient cultures and technologies used water, structured water, to actually um, communicate with each other across long distances through a more fractal holographic form of communication that is actually more natural for humans than what we're currently doing in the simulacrum of digital ones and zeros. <laughs> Cheers to that. Yeah, I agree. Water is definitely fascinating. We know it can carry information. So in the natural context, in the holistic system, why wouldn't that be a major component of it that we're overlooking in modern times? But I did want to talk about your store a little bit because you mentioned the Tea of Immortality. That was something I was planning on asking you about because that's a very provocative name. But you also sell a lot of things broken up by the benefit that people are looking for, from relaxing to longevity. And I'm probably most interested in the energy and think categories to counterbalance my stoner tendencies, because I can't stop, Mike. But <laughs> tell us about some of these things like primal 
Essence, Chaga Coffee, Illuminated Gold, Superconductive Minerals, and Gaesha Chai. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm a, I'm a fan of the sativa, personally, because I like to go, go, go. But yes, in terms of the ability to, and I'm not a fan of like the quote unquote biohacking concepts, right? We're not really doing that. We're just working with mother nature in how she was designed to help us out. So everything we do is naturally derived from herbs, botanicals. We don't really get into the nootropic space or any of that. Everything is all from mother nature herself. And luckily, we have Berlando, the master alchemist and herbalist, who really is the formulator. So this all comes from his genius mind of 40 years of experience as a not only a biodynamic farmer, but of course, a bioterrain specialist where he has applied all of these different recipes, if you will, within his own practice and seeing the results. So this is all results-driven, empirically satisfied product line that's, like I said, 30, 35, 40 years in development. But yeah, in terms of the products, I can give you a little recommendation, Greg, on and to help you out. One of my favorite like go-to booster thinking tonics that we have is actually our Guayusa Thermogenic. And Guayusa, if you're not familiar with that, is kind of like an herba mate. It comes down from Ecuador that we have a partnership with a company called Runa down there. And you may have seen the Runa drinks in your local health store. They're pretty popular now. They're in like Whole Foods and stuff. Channing Tatum, actually, it's his company, and he works with the indigenous people down there and basically allows them to run the business. They have equity in the business, so it's done in the right way. And it's a less bitter, more smooth energetic than mate. And I really love it. And it's actually what Bear Lando is a big fan. And we blend that with our Jiaogulan, which is one of the best adaptogens in the world, called the tea of immortality for a reason. And then the secret, the secret, Greg, is to blend it with coconut oil or, or raw butter. This has been made very trendy with the bulletproof trend, which good old Dave Asprey, right, mm-hmm. took to the mainstream. But this is a thousands-year-old technology that the monks of Tibet have been using with yak butter for forever. And all you're doing is you're taking the caffeine and you're blending it and essentially encapsulating it in a fat lipid to allow for a slower release, a slower burn of the caffeine. So you don't get that peak, that boost of caffeine, and then the crash. So it's a wonderful way to extend the beautiful effects of caffeine. And I know in the health world, there's a lot of controversy about caffeine. And a lot of people have been bashing my my wonderful coffee of late, saying that it's about as bad as sugar. And just like anything, if you approach these things in a, in a way that fits your lifestyle in a responsible, grown-up way, and you do it in the most appropriate way for you, I feel like we can use these things to our benefit. And so with our coffee, the reason why we have chaga and hishi wu in there is because they actually help with the adrenal fatigue that you get from caffeine. So not only by encapsulating it in the lipid layer, which I prefer organic coconut oil, And not the MCT oil that the Bulletproof folks push. Once again, we're all about naturally derived. Everything should come from Mother Nature. So 
why do we need to break apart the pieces? You know, that's the reductionist model where we've gone wrong with like allopathic medicine. Let's use what Mother Nature gives us in its entirety because all aspects of the coconut are important. So you take the coconut oil and you blend that. And then with the chaga mushroom and the hishi wu, those are very important tonic herbs that help revitalize the adrenal gland so that you're not getting that taxation you would get with a typical cup of joe. Mm. <laughs> I like it. That's a hell of a pitch. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> so I, I'm a coffee guy, Greg. I always have been. So like my morning routine, once again, is I do that Smith River water tonic with fresh squeezed organic lemon, our zero point. I blend all our zero points together. And so our zero point liquids are amazing. They're a liquid fulvic humic base. So if you've ever heard of Shilajit, I know it's become quite trendy in the alternative health space. That is basically your humic, your fulvic minerals that are naturally basically over thousands of years, all your base minerals in a natural source on the tops of the Himalaya mountains. We actually get them in the United States in a very secret location, very pure, pristine location. And then what we do is, though, we put those within a transitional element base. So we actually have them alchemically optimized so that they're vibrating at a more ceramic level, not a metallic level, which just basically means for your cellular matrix, you can saturate your cellular matrix better than traditional, even liquid vitamins. Once again, this is Dr. Bear Lando's expertise more than I, but ever since I've been taking these for about 10 years, my energy is off the hook. So I must say this stuff works, dude. Right on, right on. Wow. Well, in terms of the farm, to help people maybe get a better mental picture of the space, how large is it? How many people really live there? Is it just your family and Dr. Lando's? Yeah, so actually, it's kind of unique and interesting. I don't live on the farm. I live in a little town right over the other side of the mountains. I'm on grid because I'm, as a technologist, living off a of satellite internet is just too difficult at this time. <laughs> so uh, I'm fortunate to live in a 700-person little town that has, has a post office and a little corner market on the middle fork of the Smith River. And then the farm itself, as the crow flies, is only about 25, not even that, maybe 15 miles away. But due to the kind of the rocky terrain and landscape here, it's about a 45 minute to an hour drive. And they're on the south fork of the Smith River, nestled in an off-grid community. And there it's Dr. Lando and his wife. And then we do have our good friend Shannon, who lives on the property now. And she's a caretaker. And then we have people from the Alpha Beta community that come up and volunteer throughout the season. It is a permaculture farm, which means that it's built out in phases and in zones. And it's actually the core space of the farm is only a few acres as of now, which is actually a lot of, a lot of growing to be done in just a few acres. Yeah. But the overall goal, if you understand permaculture, it's all about human design and phasing things out in stages. So it's all zoned out appropriately according to as that how you develop that design. So right now we have completed pretty much zone one, which is about, like I said, I think it's about an acre and a half. And that is primarily our Jalgu lawn, which are trellised under the shade of the uh, conifers. We have a lot of dug firs 
and pine trees that surround the property, and we integrate it right into the nature. So the farm, as a permaculture farm, is not your traditional monocropping. It's very unique in terms of the design, and everything is also geometrically designed to kind of mirror nature's cosmic design, which Dr. Lando is a genius at. So we use a lot of geometry and also symmetry with how we basically take guilds, which are how different plants can work together and help each other out. So, for instance, we'll have fruit trees with ashwagandha around it, and then nestled in between there are certain herbs, and they all feed off each other and work together harmoniously. Bear is also a master at soil science, so he does all sorts of different electrical polarization and different things he does with the soil to ensure optimum growth. So it really is like going into a magical garden. It's really more of like a botanical garden than a farm when you go. And when you do visit, Greg, I cannot wait to take you on the tour because it really is like going to Disneyland. It's really impressive sounding, man. I mean, because I've had all these conversations with all kinds of really bright minds and the information just really doesn't go anywhere. But it's cool to know there's a place where you are layering what we know about sacred geometry and energetics and cymatics and alchemy and biodynamics and even just good soil health, as you say, and efficiency and symbiosis. It should be the goal, but you just don't see it. It's pretty rare. Well, one thing that Bear talks about a lot is physicians back in the day, even pre-Renaissance, what some call the Dark Ages, but really, I'm coming to find, Greg, that they might have been one of the highlights of our recent civilization if you start to uncover things like Tartaria and these ah. all these lost technologies that are really analog in nature. And we really try to embrace that. So like recently, I installed some Reikian earth pipes and um, we're doing different kind of tower buster type technologies. We integrate all sorts of different, like you said, sacred geometry patterning. And then of course, biogeometry is a huge influence on Bear and I. So yes, the true alchemical sciences, which are coming back. And that's something that I'm really getting excited about as a technologist. I believe that we are now moving more towards that. And things like blockchain and Bitcoin, things we can talk about in a bit, are going to be a stepping stone towards that. Yes, yes, that's exactly where I was going to go next, looking at the clock. And I have Tartaria and Tower Busting on the list, but we won't get them into the first hour if we want to talk about Quartal. And this is one of the main catalysts for us getting together, and we want to get it in this first hour. I think a lot of our guests here oftentimes present a negative view of blockchain technology. I understand things like controllable central bank digital cryptocurrencies and putting health records on the blockchain and the symbolic resonance of terms like crypto and blockchain. But I engage with crypto quite a bit, and it is the second best thing I've ever gotten involved with next to this podcast. There's really impressive stuff going on in the DeFi staking yield farming space, basically taking all the money tricks the banks have used for a long, long time and democratizing them with super insane interest yields. You could have an interest-bearing crypto bank account, for example, right now with like 50% APY returns or more. And that's just a little 
preface for people who don't know that little secret because it's an aspect of my life that so rarely gets voiced on this show. But I do see both sides of it. And like most things that start to become tools for freedom, the system co-ops them. And crypto will probably be a mixed bag, just like everything, just like the internet itself. And we're also not going to stop it. So we should probably support the projects that will move the needle in the altruistic direction. And with that said, tell us about Cordal. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. You get it. It's a tool. Technology is a tool. And we live in a dualistic reality. And so it can go either way, right? And really, one thing that we're looking at in terms of crypto is humankind, mankind likes to mess things up. <laughs> and, and, and when you read the Bitcoin white paper Satoshi Nakamoto put forth in 2009, which was the catalyst for it all, you can see the purity and the mindset that that came out of, which was really to disrupt centralization, disrupt the eons old manipulation of man through economics, through scarcity, through money. And really what we're looking at here, and this is my kind of theory on where we need to go and why we're suffering. This relates to everything right now, Greg, the global health, whatever you want to call it, pandemic, scamdemic, pandemic, whatever your kind of thoughts are on that, to the inequity of the world, to the political strife, the social strife, all of it becomes from one singular place. And I used to think that was debt, was the debt-based system that we're in. But actually, debt is just an after effect, part of the machination of something greater, which is really the lack of trust and transparency humankind has with each other, with our institutions, and with how we interact with basically all humans, interspecies relations. We don't have trust. And that has to do with a lot of things, but mainly it comes down to consciousness. And the human condition is based upon lack of trust and transparency. Certain actors, whether they be archonically controlled or the minions of Aramon, they're going to take advantage of this. And the end result is basically a debt-based system. And when we have a debt-based system, because we are unable to trust our neighbor, and because we're afraid of bad actors, we buy into this using credit and using debt. And it's really easy to go for this because look at the debt bubble we're in now. I mean, if you look at the last 50, 60 years, many Keynesian economics professors and et cetera will say that we've now enjoyed the greatest civilization success in the history of mankind. Look at all the growth, but to what cost? I often relate this to health into the allopathic model. The allopathic proponents will say we have been able to basically vanquish all disease. But at what cost? We have chronic illness at an all-time high. We have depression at an all-time high, obesity, all these things. And I know some of those play into more of the cultural aspects of humanity and the big corporations, etc. But with any Ponzi scheme, it can always look really wonderful on the top layer. But when you start to dig a little deeper, you realize how much trouble we're in. And obviously, what we're facing right now is a debt crisis beyond measure. And it's really tough, right? Like, it's going to be really tough to try to fix this. It's essentially what most honest 
people looking at this are seeing now is it's there's really one way, only a few ways out. One is complete and total collapse into like a Mad Max world. Two, complete technocracy, because that's how they push the debt bubble along is more centralization, more control, more statism. So they're doing that, of course, through technology and through the technocracy. But I think the third way out is through a holistic model of kind of slowly moving into a parallel system. And that's where we can talk about Bitcoin and what Cordal is looking to do as well. But real quick on the technocracy side, one thing we have to remember too is that technology itself is deflationary in nature. We must understand that. It's an extremely important aspect to this all. Due to Moore's law and the network effect and game theory and all these wonderful aspects of technology, it is essentially always rapidly improving and getting more efficient and making our lives easier. So if we can maintain a decentralized, holistic kind of connection to it, it can allow us to free up our time. And not that I'm saying that this is some sort of utopian ideal here of technology saving us, not at all. But it is a tool and it can allow us to really go to places as long as we do it in the right way to allow us to be more free and allow us to engage economically in a more deflationary way, which is extremely important because that is the opposite of what we're dealing with right now in terms of how we relate to debt and with inflation and right now really stagflation is what we're looking at. So important to remember that technology in itself is deflationary. And an example of that would be what we're doing right now. 10, 15 years ago, to be able to put out content like this, we would have had to probably meet in person and record it. I would have had to pay for a flight, fly down to San Diego. You would have had expensive recording equipment. We would have then had to save that to tape. We would have had to transfer that. And then people would have had to be a member where they would literally have that delivered to them in the mail. So now this is essentially free. So that is a very important aspect of technology we need to remember, and it is something that excites me every day I wake up because, like I said earlier, this technology is just the very beginning. It's like the caveman version of where we're going to go in terms of our own inert technologies within us. And yeah, Greg, I really want to get into this idea of <laughs> this is going to this is the perfect place to talk about this higher side chats because this gets trippy. Let me give you my little download I've gotten recently. So remember how I said that the biggest problem we have in terms of why we're in a debt system is because of lack of trust and lack of transparency. And we'll get into how crypto will be the first phase and specifically Bitcoin and projects like Cordal will help us get there. But the end result, I truly believe, and this goes into Steiner, into the mystics and stuff, is that we are going to go back to being psychic, connected people, like we were maybe in the times of Lemuria. And when we get there, we're basically living on a blockchain in a sense of complete transparency and truth. And in doing that, the idea of money will cease to need to exist because we will be basically living according to law, according to virtue. We will know who is unvirtuous, who is not to trust. We won't need money anymore. And in doing that, our entire relationship with currency and with how economics work will be so drastically different that those in power won't be in power anymore. And we'll be, I'm not saying this is a utopian paradise, but it will be a whole new 
idea of how we interact and how we engage and how we live in a much more harmonious, virtuous way. Hmm. I like it. It's like the blockchain digital ledger is uh, a sort of training wheel to get us back to that psychic space. Exactly. And that's you. You really said the right word, ledger, because really that's all we need. A transparent ledger that we know is immutable, that we know we're all in agreement with, that's money. I mean, that really is. So what is money? Money is the, I guess, the quantification of time, right? The idea that when you put forth time into a specific task or creative endeavor, you get a representation of that that you can then use in the future to represent that time. And if you have the right kind of money, hopefully your time is actually increased and that you can get more time down the line. So I, the idea, right, traditionally is that you work for 40 years, so you get all your, your money saved so that you can then enjoy that time when you're retired. That was kind of like the traditional nine to five, the American dream of the 1950s, right? Well, I think that relationship has obviously been skewed and changed now where essentially that time has been stripped and stolen from us due to inflation, which is really a secret hidden tax. But I also believe that we can do better. I believe that as inherent creative consciousness, that our experience on this planet in relationship to time needs to be rethought and restructured. And in doing so, so will our relationship with money. And that's really what's exciting about blockchain is that we can start playing with this because we have the ability to relate different aspects of time and different aspects of our experience onto the blockchain, which is just an immutable, transparent ledger. And so that's essentially what proof of work does. It immutably sets transactions in time. And so in doing that, it's phase one. It's phase one of us moving towards this far off ideal of us all being psychic and being transparent and virtuous in our relations and, and essentially living like the Essenes did thousands of years ago where they didn't have money, but they still had possession and they still were able to relate and do commerce. And it was all based on mutual respect by the law. So yeah, very exciting times. And the one thing I will say about crypto is that probably about 95% of it is tainted. It's centralized. It's been manipulated and controlled. And it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes in the next few years. And if we are going to see a bit of a collapse or if we're going to be able to kind of get through that and move towards these higher ideals. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of projects like Ethereum and Cardano because I feel like they're centralized and they came from a place of centralization from the get-go with the idea of an initial coin offering, essentially Fiat 2.0, where you have the progenitors pre-minting, pre-mining the coin, having control of it, and then having a staking model where based upon whoever has more shekels will have more control of the consensus. I think that's man messing it up, messing up the original vision of Satoshi. So with Cordal, what we're trying to do is we're trying to go back to Satoshi's, Satoshi's vision of having a truly decentralized mechanism to allow for a new internet. We're happy with Bitcoin. We think Bitcoin is doing a pretty good job, even though BTC as is, is not the original Bitcoin. We know in 2017 was segregated witness. It forked off and became something kind of different. The Bitcoin core team is a corporation running the Bitcoin protocol, and there are concerns with that. But still, I guess you could call me a, uh, not a Bitcoin maximalist, but a Bitcoin idealist. And I do support, support that blockchain immensely and 
most of my portfolio is BTC. But with Cordal, what we're looking to do is really reimagine what the internet is. And so it's a completely different beast. We're not competing with Bitcoin. We see Bitcoin as a friend. With Cordal, what we're looking to do is provide 10x value to the internet and thus allow for new adoption on a decentralized, more human-friendly version of what the internet can be. And in doing that, we're bringing decentralization, the trustless nature, the universal nature of blockchain, and with things like community, collaboration, cooperation, and abundance. So yeah, let me know what questions do you have about Cordal. It's a very deep subject. There's a lot to it. And I'm happy to discuss any aspects of it. For sure, for sure. And yeah, I definitely think that a lot of times with crypto conversations, they can get too fundamental, like what is a blockchain and all this kind of stuff. And there's so much out there that if people need to be brought up to speed, go bring yourself up to speed. But one aspect of this protocol that I think is interesting that maybe a lot of people haven't heard elaborated on would be proof of time or this minting aspect as compared to proof of work, which Bitcoin uses, or proof of stake, which is being considered the next big thing, help people understand these mechanisms and what Cordal does differently and almost uniquely, because I don't think I've heard of another proof of time project. Yeah, so Cordal in itself is its own blockchain. It was developed from the ground up. It's been about six years in the making. Really kind of the original ethics and momentum of Bitcoin came out of the cypherpunk mentality, right? From the 80s and 90s. I always think of that movie like Hacker or whatever from the 90s, you know, mm. like guys on rollerblades wearing neon. But yeah, it was really these underground cypherpunks who saw that the Bitcoin model of proof of work, well, ingenious on so many ways. And really, we are fans of Bitcoin because the proof of work model is important to understand. And really, the proof of work model is based on traditional classic economics of supply and demand and based on the idea of computers competing against each other to solve complex problems based on a specific difficulty setting to allow for a completely transparent and decentralized mechanism of maintaining truth on a digital network, what we call blockchain. An extremely important innovation and something that I think will be like the printing press used for hundreds, if not thousands of years. I really do. There are limitations, though, to proof of work in terms of the egalitarian nature of it, because it does tend to centralize, because in the end, there is a race for computing power. And the race for computing power essentially means those who can afford to buy the best computers and those who can team up and create the biggest mining systems will thus have more what they call hashing power, which will give you more power on the Bitcoin or whatever proof-of-work blockchain. And the other thing, too, about Bitcoin is based on a scarcity model, which is fine, which is fine for the mechanism of what it's turned into, which is a means for securing a deflationary or having a deflationary economic model for basically digital gold, right? Having a savings account. It makes a lot of sense. However, like any technology, there are other variants and uses that can be ascertained out of the blockchain model. And one thing that we saw a problem with Bitcoin for what we're trying to tackle, which is creating a new hosting paradigm for data and for a new internet, is that 
it really needs to be as egalitarian as possible. We want the network to be as decentralized and to be run by every single individual in the world if we really want to create the new internet, which originally that's what the internet was, right? Before the internet service providers came about, the CompuServe's and the AOL's, the nerds of the world would connect person to person on the internet. You would plug in your phone modem and dial in and go on one of those old boards and you know the forums and stuff and interact person to person through your connection. And we wanted to get back to that. So in order to do that, we need an economic model that incentivizes and that is as completely universal and fair as possible. So we were thinking, well, what would be the value metric for that? What is something that everybody has access to? In the human condition, what is the thing that everybody can relate to and everybody has access to? And that, of course, is time. We're all here for a certain amount of time, right? Nobody gets out alive. So by figuring out a way to not only create an egalitarian model where everybody shares a piece of the pie, but also based upon something that everybody has access to, we're able to come up with minting, which essentially is our own consensus model that basically just tracks the amount of time that you are running your own node supporting the network. So simple. Think of it as like a BitTorrent, right? A BitTorrent, traditionally, you put the software on your computer and you start essentially supporting bits of everybody's data. That's all essentially we're doing, but with a blockchain attached. And the blockchain allows for the universal, transparent ledger that is built in time, just like the Bitcoin blockchain. However, the difference being that unlike proof of work, where you're competing with computers to get the prize, right, the coin, when you quote unquote win a block, this is just everybody's pooling in all together. We're all in this together. We're collaborating together. And every minute, we have minute blocks, everybody shares a piece of the pie. So everybody in every minute, based upon how many users there are, how many full nodes are running, there is a specific block reward that comes out and gets split across the entire board. So what we did is we essentially were able to, one of the big problems with Bitcoin is the Bitcoin mining pools that have taken over where they're taking everyone's little bit of hashing power, right? And spreading the block reward amongst the pool members. We said, well, we'll just make one big pool and then everybody shares. And then of course we do have the leveling system, which we can talk about, which gives a sense of authority based upon how much time and how much basically you've given time-wise to the network. And that allows for not only further rewards, but also voting and opens up a whole amazing opportunity for us to be agile and creative in the ways that we can upgrade the system depending on what trials and tribulations come ahead. So unlike Bitcoin that relies upon the miners to make these decisions on the future of the protocol, this is actually done through a much more egalitarian voting method that still also does honor those leaders who started it, the elders, if you will, who are higher levels based upon the amount of time they put in it. So it's not just pure democracy mob rule. It's based kind of more on a model of a republic, if you will, where those who have put more time that are, are more knowledgeable have a little bit more weight on the voting. So that, in essence, is kind of what we developed. There's a lot more to it, but it's fun. Anybody can jump in right now, and once you've proven yourself over 7,200 blocks, or that's about five days of running the blockchain, you get sponsored by someone who's level five or above. It's kind of a little protection mechanism. So you need to find an elder who will allow you to come into the tribe, and it's very easy to do. 
basically you just prove you're a real human being and that you want to be a part. And then you run the node, your node for 7,200 blocks, and then you hit level one. And then every minute you start earning coin and you can take part in the beautiful thing that is Quartal. Yes, yes. That is a great summary. And of course, it's not all about getting rich, but when someone mines Bitcoin, they're in it for the reward, which is that token. And Quartal uses the Quart token. I know your liquidity pairs right now are Litecoin and Doge, and Quart trades at about $1.46, according to your decentralized exchange platform. And you have people running their nodes and building up 30, 40, even 100,000 quart. And not that this is just about money, but that sounds like real money, man. And (laughs) I'm still trying to work out how this all would play out for a newbie, because it seems like level one would receive 5% of the block rewards. And you said... 7,200 blocks takes about five days. So dividing that down, it's like 1440 a day. Uh, It's just, it starts to get kind of complicated, but I was unsure how much court is distributed per block and just what sort of court yield would a level one person see in say a 30 day period just for running a node on their PC consistently? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, there's a lot of, factors that play because it depends on how many nodes are running at the same time. And this is really built upon the network effect. So the beauty of the abundance model, the sharing model, is that the ideally here, and another note you kind of mentioned briefly, Greg, is that we are not on any centralized exchanges. The only way that you can get into Cordal is either by minting or by coming in with currently Doge or Litecoin. We will be adding other Projects that we see are decentralized enough to bring in. So Ravencoin, Digibyte, our other partner that we really align with is Pirate Chain, if you're familiar with them, which is a wonderful privacy coin. And so we are working with Monero and Pirate Chain to bring them in to give some privacy options as well. But yeah, if you go to the Cordal Wiki, It has all that information. You can look at the reward structure and how that works. Now, Cordal has been around. We've been, we will be going on a year and a half, two years now almost of running the blockchain. And the founders, we did not pre-mine anything. There was no pre-minting. You basically started day one and those who were running nodes were getting a bigger piece of the pie because they were early adopters. So that's why you're seeing some of those larger coin holders able to put those buys out and those sells out because they were early on. But I want to be very clear, there was no pre-mine or anything. It's like a proof of work in a sense. We had a Genesis block and then everybody was able to join the network and start sharing in the rewards every minute. But if you go to the Cordal Wiki page and you look at the minting overview, they have the block rewards and distribution laid out there. And so it does depend upon like how many nodes are running and we're getting, you know, we have more full nodes running on our network than Litecoin does now, which is pretty fascinating considering how how much of a legacy blockchain that is and kind of worrying if you start to think about it in terms of something as big as Litecoin. But the way it works is like, and this is a great question and I'm probably not the best person to ask. And I think 
I would love for you to have Jason Crow on. He is really the technologist and the person who really was like the guy who brought this all together with the coders. And he's much more knowledgeable about how those rewards would work in terms of practicalities. But I would say in a month's time, considering my eight-year-old is doing it, just from practicality from what he's seen, he's earned only about, I would say, five or six coin court in that month's time. Hmm. So it's not a ton. However, the idea here is with the network effect, we're looking, I mean, ideally what I'm looking at is court hitting, going from a dollar ten to exponential growth in the next year to hitting easily ten to fifteen dollars a coin by next summer. I think with the way crypto's going, I wouldn't be surprised if it starts to hit a hundred dollars a coin within a little over a year with the way the model's working. So it's an amazing way to get in right now. And we know how crypto works with how the centralized markets work with the pump and dump schemes and, and all of those ploys. We've tried to stay out of that as much as we can. We're not into the casino crypto racket. We're really all about adoption. We're about utility. So in the end, the court coin is really just a utility coin. It'll be used for the services. And then down the line, we will launch the ability to create assets and so that those who want to develop new economic models and new kind of unique methodologies for how economies can work, we can do that all on Cordal. So, you know, if you wanted to even, I know a lot of projects do this, but if you wanted to, you know, put out the higher side chat coin, you could easily do that as an asset, and then it would still be based on the proof of time model. However, we will allow, though, down the line, like, for instance, I'm working on a proof of experience model that would use the court sub-architecture in terms of the hosting and the data hosting as the substructure, but then have a kind of a different consensus algo on top of that in terms of an actual economic model built upon sharing experiences. So exciting stuff. Really, this will be the sub-level layer of the data hosting and the web hosting. And one other thing that's really unique about Cordal 2 is you define your own name to your single public address. Now, you can create as many accounts as you want, as many addresses as you want, but your one account, basically there's one public address per account, and then there you can register a name, and that name will be individually unique on the blockchain. And that is going to be the host, the host names, the domain names of the future. So very exciting because we are basically taking out the ICANN centralized model that we know during the Obama administration was given to the UN, which is a huge choke point for the future for free speech on the traditional internet. Yes, very exciting stuff. Probably a little dense for some people in this audience, but it's a wide net of people that listen to this show, and I'm sure some are onto this stuff. You can be scared of it and skeptical of it, but this crypto thing is happening. And just like the internet happened, if you had paid better attention to the first steps of that technology, you probably would be retired right now. And I think the same can be said for crypto. And not every project has a nefarious intention. In fact, most of them don't. The ones that have kind of uh, sketchy funding and get the most publicity, maybe do, but you can dig beyond those projects. Even the NFT space is very interesting. The 
criticism of the NFT space is, oh, people are just paying $100,000 for a piece of digital art. Well, if you dig deeper, that digital art actually gives you a ticket to a private community that does distribute a coin in most cases, and that coin can then be converted to fiat. And so in some situations, owning this quote-unquote piece of digital art actually is more like a money printer of digital currency. And the reason why they're selling for a million dollars is because they generate, say, $2,000 a month. So if you have something that generates you $2,000 of income a month, what price would you put on it? Because I'd probably say a pretty high price. And that's the issue. And they're never telling you that on television when Stephen Colbert decides to shit on <laughs> crypto and NFTs. They don't mention that part, that a lot of people are finding financial independence through this. I get pretty jazzed up about it. I don't feel like it really fits with THC all that much. So I kind of just keep it to myself. But you mentioned the host names of the future. And this is an area I wanted to talk to you about because I know it is in Cordell's future plans to implement web hosting. And there are a few projects trying to do this, and it's all very new, but a decentralized internet is very important to someone who hosts a podcast like mine, but the details are still pretty fuzzy. I'm curious, in some cases, would this still be able to use a .com URL? Could it still be a WordPress-based website? I mean, I've changed hosting providers several times over the years, but... What are the major differences in blockchain-based hosting and how different it has to be? Does it plug into the conventional internet or is it really its own thing? Yes, great, great question. And, and just as a side to your comment on the, the NFT space and everything, it's all about consensus, understanding as a community what something of value is. And if everybody comes to consensus on something, that's all money is. We came to consensus that gold had value because it was scarce and it lasts forever. And so we use that as a foundational metric to underscore value of exchange. And the NFT space, people, as long as it's transparent and truly decentralized and also immutable, which is the beauty of blockchain, then I don't really care. If people are coming to consensus that jelly beans, digital jelly beans that are set in specific parameters by code and that are done in a way that are decentralized and they're transparent, once again, and immutable, then go for it. I also find it really exciting that like this is being tied to hard assets like art, like Banksy's art. He's you know breaking that into pieces and people can own and have equity in through a tokenization. So yes, there's so much exciting stuff in this space, but I will stress it needs to be decentralized. Now, that being said, in terms of your question about the hosting and the internet, we must be very clear here. Blockchain is not ideal for handling large amounts of data, mm -hmm. but blockchain is really good for keeping that transparent, immutable ledger. And so if we do this in the right way, which I vision Cordal doing, I think we can really fix a lot of the problems we have with censorship, with the problems with the centralization of ISPs, and we'll get into ISPs in a second, but in the hosting companies and the domain providers coming in, I have friends that have had lost their websites because literally the hosting company didn't like what they were putting out there. So how does this work with Cordal? Essentially, very similar to like a BitTorrent where you will basically be able to run a node that will have ability to 
spread and share the bits of the data across the entire network. That is done not on a blockchain. That is done on a more traditional sort of technology that something like BitTorrent would use. However, the blockchain is extremely important because, in essence, the time stamping, the authority, the name, like we mentioned, that is set in stone and basically provides authorship and authority and ownership in a way that is immutable, transparent, and decentralized. So it's kind of might be hard for some people to wrap their head around. Oh, and also the economic model, right? The ability to be able to make a living off it is important. So that being said, yes, you will be able to patch in the legacy system. It's just a question of how centralized you want to play. So you can, with Cordal, which we're only a month and a half away from launching, which is very, very exciting. You will be able to put on the, right now to run Cordal, you have to install the Cordal node, which is the core, which is running the blockchain, and then the user interface, right? The software that allows you to interact with it without having to know code. Once you do that, in the user interface, there will essentially be like a web browser. In that web browser, you'll be able to browse everybody's websites that are hosted using the Cordal blockchain infrastructure. That will be able to easily be pull up on anyone's name. So you can have higher side chats on the blockchain. It'll be the only higher side chats. And people can pull that up and we will have, we actually already have it built in. I think it's already been tested, a WordPress importer. So with a click of a button, you can import your WordPress site and the HTML and the CSS and the JavaScript, all the front end will be transferred over and it will be interwoven into the Cordal data service. And basically, any basic HTML blog, any structure like that for phase one can be brought over fairly easily. If you want to then have a forwarding, a port forwarding, or um, you know, through your traditional domain, you can do that. So because this is using the layer sockets of the internet, you can actually use a traditional domain forward and forward with, even use it so it's a pretty domain. So someone can still go to HiresideChats.com. It'll then forward to the data layer of the Cordal network. You can have it so the user wouldn't even really know they were using Cordal. Now, that is a centralized mechanism you are using to allow for users to easily access it, but that's totally doable right out of the gate. So yes, to answer your question, you can use kind of legacy systems with Cordal to have still a decentralized backend, but allow for the newbie to engage without much technological discovery. Right on, right on. Well, that's a great explanation. It is important to shore up our game if we want to avoid the censorship crackdown, but then also... We need good usability for people who aren't so technical. So that's a beautiful thing. I love it. And man, we have just covered a lot and I had a good time doing it. We know we can't get honest answers from the enslavement system. So we have to talk these things out ourselves with the people who have a knack for them. So I appreciate the insights. Maybe we should close with a bit about Music and Sky or any of the other irons in the Mike Winter fire. Tell them what they should know about following up on the things you have going on. Yeah, thanks, Greg. So when 2020 hit hard and we were told we are not allowed to meet in person or enjoy life anymore, one thing a lot of people don't know about me is I've been a, 
underground house DJ going on 20 years. And it's my favorite thing to do in the world. I used to play raves. And, and actually, down in San Diego, I used to play at Off-Broadway, I think it's called, Off-Broadway or On-Broadway. <laughs> it was a big nightclub down there in the Gas Lamp District. When that was happening, I was like, my friends hit me up. We're like, we're going to put on an event. And we're going to buck the trend. We're going to do it in Joshua Tree. And we want it to be all holistic, health-minded, but kind of got that underground house music thing going, but we're going to do it. And people thought we were crazy, and we called it Music in Sky. It was actually kind of an offshoot from a, a Burning Man decompression party that had been going on for about 10 years. But we changed it. We flipped it into a totally holistic-minded event, family event with ice baths and meditation and all this great stuff that we talk about with Alpha Vedic. And so that's now gone two years, and we now moved it up to the Sierras in this beautiful location. And it's all we have speakers like David Avocado Wolf was there, Renette Sinem, who's running for governor, all sorts of fantastic characters. It has a 24-hour live art gallery, a children's stage now, a children's village. It's very family-oriented, and it's a 24-hour like camping festival. It goes for a few days. And so that is something, probably my favorite thing of time of the year. And we do that typically May, June. Last year, we did it on the 4th of July weekend. It was fantastic. So that's called Music and Sky. And you can check that out, musicandsky.com. And we'll be doing it again this year. And then we take a lot of those talks and we put them out on a summit format. The first one was called Reunion Summit, which I do with Josh Del Sol, who did the 5G summit with Sayer G from Green Med Info. And that's now kind of blossomed into the event, which is happening, God, next week. If you go to alphavedic.com forward slash the event, you can find out all the information about that. And so that hopefully will spurn people into becoming that naturopath that you want to see, because that's what we're pushing. We want people to start taking on those roles. And then, of course, if you're interested in finding out more about Cordal, you can go to Cordal.org. That's Q-O-R-T-A-L.org. You can join the network and start minting. I will sponsor you. You can just find me on the Cordal community. I go by Alpha Warrior on the Discord and Telegram. And then, of course, Alpha Vedic. We have a co-op where people can join us and come to the farm and engage with us or just join us on our monthly calls, and you can join us there at alphavedic.com. That's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. Beautiful. Well, Mike, you are one of the good guys. I'm happy to know you. Thanks for doing this. Tell Bear I said hey, and take care. Thanks, man. Have a great weekend. Yes, people. Mike Winner, Bulletproof Tiger. Really enjoyed this one. Always nice to get a fellow podcaster with a quality setup on. And I'm glad we could focus a portion of an episode on the positive applications of blockchain tech rather than just saying crypto bad. Because I don't think that's ever a very good approach. It's intellectually lazy. And you can just mentally shut yourself off and ignore the massive amount of nuance in the crypto world. Or you could resist the temptation for simple thinking and go deeper. You know, when I'm interviewed on other shows and they want to get into the history of THC, I always say it was a Hail Mary because I was in a pretty desperate Hail Mary situation. Well, the opportunities in crypto and DeFi and NFTs, they're there. And some of them are also Hail Marys, but they are within reach, and it just takes some time to learn and vet various projects. 
You could say it's like the stock market in that you should put your money into things that you believe in and avoid weapons manufacturers and vaccine manufacturers. And maybe that's the same thing. Sounded more like it every day, but you know what I mean. Nobody says companies, full stop, are blanket bad. So it's not the worst idea in the world to try and propel something like Quartal and other decentralized projects. Or engage in DeFi, which stands for decentralized finance, something I thought we all wanted. We have networks and exchanges that have harnessed the tools that banks have used for years to make money on money, and they've given access to little old you and me to engage with that. Savings accounts that have huge yields, even on stablecoins, if you don't like the risk of something like Bitcoin or Ethereum. But blockchain web hosting is super exciting to me. Decentralizing the internet itself and having no company that can turn off your site. You can bet I'm going to be watching that space and pouncing on it when the tech is ready. Not only is it still a little soon for a quarter, but even other projects are still saying that it's on their roadmap down the line. But I do have some friends that are in jobs that they hate, just trying to get by, and they have put a thousand or two into a crypto yielding account or some kind of liquidity pool, and they're generating like 50, 60, 75 bucks a day, whether they're on the clock or not. And that's the magic of passive income, and there are opportunities in crypto, just saying. And here's one example, actually, of the Wild West of crypto that applies to me, but there's a company called Ethereum Name Services, and they sell blockchain domain addresses so that your wallet doesn't have to be this big, long string of letters and numbers. So I bought the HiresideChats.eth and made it my MetaMask wallet. To buy a domain is pretty cheap, like 40 bucks or something. So now if anyone wanted to donate Ethereum to me or pay for a Plus membership in Ethereum, that's all you have to know thehiresidechats.eth. And that alone is pretty cool. And if I was even more forward-thinking, I should have bought up a lot of other ones, like Budweiser now owns beer.eth. You know, I really could have capitalized on all of this, but the point is, ENS, the company, decided they wanted to launch a token of their own for their own ecosystem, common thing to do, and they airdropped the coins to people based on the number of .eth domains they hold and how long they've held them. Another reason that I wish I had gotten more, but there was no way to know this at the time. But on the day of the airdrop, I checked my wallet, and there's a handful of ENS coins. And I checked the value of those coins, and it was about $8,000. So, huge win. I sold off about half right away, and then the next day, the value of the coin skyrocketed, and I sold the other half for about four times that. So all in all, I think it was like twelve or 14000 And all I did was buy a domain name for THC, trying to be forward-thinking, for about 40 bucks. And I don't really know many other ways to just come up on a couple grand. It definitely never happened for me at GameStop. And it was really helpful because getting risked out of the birth center and rushed to the hospital and paying for all of that and a three-night stay... Well, it was an unexpected expense, and this random airdrop really helped iron it out for us. So yeah, this isn't really a financial advice podcast, but since it was in the mix of topics we talked about today, I would take the opportunity to say to you guys, 
if you are tech savvy at all, I would learn about terms like DeFi, staking, and liquidity pools. I would get involved. It's not all about, well, I missed Bitcoin, so I'm just going to sit out. People say it's risky and it's volatile. Well, I think living paycheck to paycheck is risky and volatile. I think the inflation and the supply chains we're dealing with are risky and volatile. But a lot of people don't have a choice. And a lot of people who are looking for a Hail Mary are still doing things like buying lottery tickets or trying to make a come up in casinos on some slot machine pulls. And it's like, well, that's definitely a tilted advantage against you. Whereas there are many wins in the casino of crypto, let's say. And it's sad. It's sad that we are in an economic position where a lot of people have to do really risky Hail Mary stuff to try to have a normal life. But I can't change the system. I can only present you with some possibly potential come-ups if you don't want to start your own podcast. It's really all I know. So even like Mike was saying, with Quartal, maybe you get five court tokens a month. But if that does go up to 50 or 75 or 100 bucks in value per coin, now we're talking. Who couldn't use an extra $500 a month? If you get to level two or three, even more rewards. I guess I would say the crypto space is full of opportunities and projects like Quartal that are paying their node operators or doing other things like airdrops. And these things do stack up. Even if it's not a lot, it's still something. And it's a paradigm shift from the old legacy systems that we've criticized so much for so long. If you're interested, I would investigate exchanges like Yearn.Finance or Miamar. Dot exchange. Miamar is M-A-I-A-R. Watch some YouTube videos. Conspiracy folks definitely know how to do their own research, right? My two favorite YouTube channels for this stuff are Altcoin Daily and Whiteboard Crypto. But you do you. I'm just throwing it out there. But I'm also a really big fan of Bear. Really loved that episode with Dr. Lando. So to talk to Mike about the Alpha Vedic grounds and products was really interesting. A great compliment to that previous show. In the plus portion, we added quite a few other things that I've heard Mike talk about. A real grab bag of various stuff, like the metaverse, the New California movement, exotic energy and secret science, antiquitech, a really great term, manipulating the weather with orgone, Regreening the deserts, land patents, health and bioterrain and energetics, and watching out for the next scariant. Another good term. But I did enjoy going back and forth on terrain theory as well. You know, I do subscribe to it, but I just like to play devil's advocate and try to get some of those last unanswered questions answered. The thing about viruses, as opposed to bacteria and parasites, is they are much smaller and require that electron microscope, and that's where we get into this private club of people who have a hundred grand to use the device to see the thing. And it's weird to say that we come in contact with millions of viruses a day, but they can find this one or that one that causes illness, because it's not like the other million are mapped out, right? They don't know what a lot of these things do, if anything. So where's the periodic table of viruses telling us what each one does so that we can rule them out when something like COVID comes along? You know, the whole thing does start to fall apart. 
but I also wonder what COVID is. I know it's similar to a flu if you're in good health, but it is different enough. And what is the flu even? Is it really just changes in the electrical environment? I don't know. I'm compelled by the argument. I'm intrigued by the conversation. We pick apart pieces like polio and vaccine-related diseases, but there's still a lot more to recontextualize. You know what I'm saying? I don't like to just adopt a new paradigm whole hog if I still have some unanswered questions. But when people say no one has ever seen a virus in action, actually in real time infecting a cell in a whole person, I'm pretty sure that is true. I'm not ready to say pathogens like viruses can never make a person sick. We know bacteria can and parasites can, and I can't see those either. But it's very fishy that throughout my whole lifetime, whenever a large group of people do get sick, it's always a virus that is the answer. We never look for another cause, and that's clearly pretty suspicious. If polio was caused by something like DDT or mercury teething powder, well, I remember in my neighborhood growing up that they definitely had sent bug sprayers around all the time. What's with all that? My parents were wise enough to tell me to cover my nose and mouth and come back home when that truck was out, but I know people in the neighborhood who would sit in the driveway drinking beers with other neighbors around a fire pit, and they didn't clear the area. They just sat in that stank. So when they potentially get some nerve disorder two years later, nobody asks what chemicals they were exposed to. So I am on that page, but I just don't want to shut down other perspectives. I want to remain open because I think that's what THC is about. I'm not going to stop the conversation because a guest says virus or something like around the globe, as some people wish I would. But big thanks to Mike. The AlphaCast is one of my favorites out there. When I need a more positive, solution-based podcast to listen to, I definitely go and see who they've been having on. Because that's their show's focus for the most part. In higher side news, there's a few days left on the 50% off gifting subscription if you want to give the gift of THC and full-blown enlightenment to your friends and family. You can do that. And we've also got an offer floating around out there for previous members to try to bring them back in. And I hope people who have been listening to the free first hour will jump over to Plus. You get a lot more show, and it means a great deal to me in the new dad world. Between Christmas and New Year's, we got meetups in Phoenix and Portland on the calendar at HiresideMeetups.com. I added some new sweatpants and a new redacted design in the merch store at thehiresideclothing.com. But that's pretty much it. Hope all is going well in your world, or at least more good than bad. Check out alphavedic.com for all things Mike and Dr. Lando have going on, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. I've done my part. Your move, smart city sellers, crypto co-opters, and agents of a sick, sick system. Your fucking Sometimes when I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Processed stuff that makes you fat. Yeah, it's a weak and sickly people making industry. Don't tell me. Don't tell me lies.
every now and then. 